0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Toowoomba Vineyard Church podcast. We are a brand new church here in Toowoomba, Queensland, and we are discovering the joy of following Jesus together. If you want to find out more about what we're up to, stick around at the end for the details. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message. We've been talking through this funny little phrase, The proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom. And it's one that I would love every single person in our church to be deeply familiar with because it's a really important piece of theology for the Vineyard Church. But um, on the next slide, if you were here last week, this is familiar to you. So the proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom. And the reason we're talking about this funny little phrase is because this kind of neatly sums up the ministry of Jesus. When you read through the Gospels, you find that Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. He talked a lot about the kingdom, uh, and he showed people what the kingdom was like. He healed people. He set people free. He uh, encouraged people. He um, he dealt with some of the oppressive power structures that have been set up by the religious structures of the day. And this is, all comes together to show people what it's like when God is in charge. And so we've been particularly interested in this demonstration word because... In the Western church, we're great at talking about the kingdom. We're not so good at doing the kingdom. So that's why we're talking about it. So the first week, we talked about what is demonstrating the kingdom. The second week, last week, we talked about how we can do that in some supernatural ways. And this week, we're going to round out the series by talking about how we can do it in some natural ways, in inverted commas. And be- but before we launch into that, I think it's really important to talk a little bit about this, this kind of like complete separation that we like to do between natural and supernatural, between things that are normal and things that are kind of super normal because I think it's really unhelpful. And the reason I want to talk through that is I think one of the questions we have to ask ourselves if we're asking how we demonstrate the kingdom is is how do we actually engage with the world around us? Like as the church, what's our relationship to the world supposed to be? And so if you were, what's the relationship between God the world, and the church. How does that work? Let's start with this. So this is, this is I th- I'm going to show us two, two kind of options to answer that question. And this first one, this is what I think is probably our default mode of thinking. It's this inherited idea which comes from the Enlightenment that the world and God are separate. Like God's up there in heaven. We're down here and things are fine like that. Like God can do his thing, people can be Christians as long as they do that in private and don't bother anyone else because we, the world, are fine on our own. Like, that's, that's this kind of separation of, of natural and supernatural of God and his world. And so in this mode of thinking, the church kind of sits in the middle. Oh, sorry. No, you're right. The church kind of sits in the middle. And so if God and the world are separate, then the church in this mode of thinking needs to exist to bridge the gap. So if you are a normal everyday person and you want to meet with God, then you have to go to church and there you meet with God. And if God wants to do something in his people, he has to do it through the church. And so the church kind of acts as this intermediary between God and his world in this kind of split natural versus supernatural worldview. Now, I interestingly, that's pretty much the arrangement in the Old Testament just replace church with Israel. And and that's, that's how it was. Israel were God's chosen people. And he could and did occasionally work outside of Israel, but for the most part, it was Israel. They were kind of the intermediary between God and the world. In New Testament, things are slightly different. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, God shows up in his world. Like God himself became flesh. In John 1, it says the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. Jesus is the embodiment in the New Testament between God and the world. And so in his ministry, he proclaims and demonstrates the kingdom and announces the impending reign of God coming in. And these two circles are kind of like overlapping and pushing together through the ministry of Jesus. But then what happens is after, Oh, hang on, I mean, you all knew what was coming anyway. So, <laughs> After the reign of Jesus, Jesus re- released that responsibility to his people and gave them the spirit. And so as followers of Jesus, as people who believe Jesus is Lord, God himself lives inside us so that we bring his presence wherever we go and we fulfill that overlapping role. And so the church is born and so we have this this kind of intersection between God, his world, and his church, his people. Now, let, I'm going to make this really clear by showing you what happens at the intersection of those things. So the first one is, what happens when we have, when, this is, and this is talking about kind of how we, how we live, how we spend our time, how we um, picture ourselves in relation to the world. So option one is, a lot of the time, people get stuck in what we call a Christian bubble. Uh, we had this really interesting conversation uh, when I was interning at Northridge, when I, back way back when I was like 18 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. We had this conversation. We had the church directory. Does anyone remember church directories? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we had the church directory and we had this idea. What if we put like everyone's jobs on the church directory? Not because we want it to be weird, but because if you need, you know, if you need a mechanic, you can look through and go, oh, there's a mechanic in the church. I'll use them. Oh, I need a web designer. Oh, Chris is a web designer. I'll chat to him about his website. Subtle plug. And and so the idea is that it means that if you know if you want to find a Christian mechanic, web designer, hairdresser, whatever, you can find someone in the church. We decided not to do that because the question is, where does it stop? Like it. I think sometimes as Christians, we have this idea that we need to kind of insulate ourselves from the world and, and every person that we interact with and who, who does our hair and who, you know, our dentist and whoever else we cross, come across in our world need to be all part of the church and Christian. And the problem with that is if we do that, if we take that to the extreme, then you end up in this world where you never interact with anyone from outside the church. And I think that's just so unhealthy. Because if we want to have an impact on the world, we need to actually be present in the world. And so if we're just doing the God and church thing, then we exist in the Christian bubble. The next overlap is between the church and the world. And I would call this empty spirituality. It's this kind of way of doing life where you're super involved in church. you, You go to all of the things. You're part of a small group. You do all of the things. And you're also involved with the world. You know, Maybe you have a workplace that you're involved with and you invite your friends to church and... It's all, all wonderful, but you have no meaningful relationship with God. And this is the danger zone for pastors especially, but for all of us too. And so as we live out our lives, it's actually so important that, you know, you're, you're, there's this really scary verse, um, to, to paraphrase it badly, where Jesus says, some of you will say to me, you know, we cast out demons and did miracles in your name. And Jesus responds, yeah, but I never knew you. There is so, if you're, if you're, if doing church, if doing faith is really, really hard for you, I want to, if this might not be it, but I want to ask you whether maybe you need to nurture your relationship with God. If you have that empty spirituality, push into God and, and have a deep, rich relationship with Him that's independent of your relationship with the church. It's so important. Option number three, um, you have a relationship with God, you're in the world, but you're not part of the church. Now, I think as a pastor, technically, I'm supposed to be really cranky with these people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's this thing of pastors are like, you need to be in the church. It's good for you. And that's, it's so true. Like, humanity thrives in community. And being a part of a church is so good. But also, I, I personally understand deeply some of the reasons why people choose not to be a part of a church and actually these are the people that god has absolute like that my my soul cries out to because i get it and a lot of people have very good reasons for not wanting to be part of a church but like i said earlier humanity we thrive in community and more than that god's plan for the redemption of creation is his church like like i said last week it would be much more efficient if he came back and did it himself but for some reason he's chosen us So, what happens when we're in the middle and we kind of embrace all three? This is what I would call incarnational ministry, which is just a theological way of saying, actually, physically being the presence of God wherever we are. And if we want to live at the intersection of God, the world, and the church, we have to change our understanding and definition of church. We know that church isn't a building, that's like Sunday school level understanding. It's also not a gathering. Although we love our church gatherings, I would argue that church is a people on a mission. And if you lose that mission part, then you lose some of the richness of it. But when we understand ourselves as a people on a mission, as we go throughout, like when we leave this place and we go out, when you go to Baker's Duck and you get your sourdough after church on a Sunday, as you all should, it's excellent. Unless you're gluten free, that's one. You know, as you go to work on Monday, as you encounter people, Um, During the week, as you you catch up with friends who might not be part of the church and might not have a faith, you realize that you're still kind of representing the church and representing God. You know, we have, if, if this was physically possible, you have one foot in the world, one foot in the church and one foot in your relationship with God. And when those three things come together, I think that's when we can maximize our impact. When we seek to demonstrate the kingdom, if we're kind of present with all three of these, if we live in the center then when we do these things that we're talking about, that's when the impact comes. So, uh, oh, and I do need to say, because otherwise these sections won't link together very well. Oh gosh, I said all of that, how good am I? Um, And it's important to recognize that as as we bring, just just you getting my inner monologue here, I may as well do it out loud because then you get a laugh out of it. Anyway, so, and as we, as we go, as we demonstrate the kingdom, that can be in supernatural ways um, where, you know, actually, no, here's a better way of saying it. As we go, it would be, I think when we exist in the center and we demonstrate the, the kingdom in supernatural ways, we do it in a way that's so natural people barely even notice. Like the hype, and something I absolutely love about the series, The Chosen, which some of you might have seen, I was watching an interview with the director and he said an intentional choice they made in directing was to kind of minimize the miracles, not in terms of their significance, but in terms of not just hyping them up and making them dramatic so that the focus could be on the transformation and the change that comes as a result. And I think when we're doing, when we're practicing the supernatural, particularly out there in the world, we want it to be so natural that people barely even notice. And, and God gets all of the glory and the excitement. Conversely, when we do simple things that you know, just simple things like being kind to people. When we're doing that kind of thing, the impact of that is so profound that it almost becomes supernatural. And that's the kind of when we when we live at the intersection of these three things, I think that is where that starts to take shape. So we're going to talk about the latter of those two things now. And we're going to talk away about some ways of being what I would call supernaturally natural. So we're going to go through a list a bit like we did last time, and then we're going to bring it all home with a fun object lesson at the end. So what are some ways we can demonstrate the kingdom in inverted commas, natural ways? Well, first of all, um, I think we can do it through kindness. So all we're talking about here, and if you were part of the Surprise the World series we did uh, way back when we first started meeting next door, um, this is is the bless uh, part of that. It's, it's as simple as just noticing the people around you, listening to the Holy Spirit and going, how can I be kind to people in my world today? A great example of that would be in uh, Luke 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. And the thing that gets me about that is it's such a simple act of kindness. It wasn't planned. It was just as, as the Samaritan was going down the road, he saw a need and he chose to meet it. And the impact of that was profound. So it might be, um, like I said, noticing a need, meaning it, praying for someone at a, uh, or oh, sorry, paying for someone at a cafe, praying for someone at a cafe works too. Um, asking someone, are you okay? You know the whole, are you okay day thing? Really, really profound way of actually having an impact on someone or just sending someone an encouraged, encouraging message out of the blue. These are all examples of Kindness. The only things to be careful of, and I've included rules of engagement in these because I think it's really helpful. You know, we did that last week for the supernatural stuff. I think we should have rules of engagement for the the natural stuff too. Um, But first of all, we're not doing this because we're expecting a response. It's not like, oh, I paid for you at the cafe. Now you need to give your life to Jesus. Otherwise, I'll demand my money back. Um, So we just, we do these things because we're making the world a better place. And that's enough. We're, just, we're choosing to be obedient to God and not necessarily um, predicting the outcome of that. And then the other thing is, when you go out of your way to be kind to people, make sure it's actually helpful. Make sure you're not actually making the problem worse. All right, next up. Oh, yeah, here's a lovely quote about that. Um, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. I love that one. All right, next. Keeping questionable company. This is is one of those things that we see Jesus doing all the time in the gospel. And this is one of the things I absolutely love about being a follower of Jesus. Um, Matthew 9, 10, you might have come across this before. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And the Pharisees, they start questioning him. They go, why is Jesus hanging out with those people? That's not okay. That's not in the law. You're not supposed to do that. But what, was, what Jesus was demonstrating very clearly is that God's heart is for everyone, regard, regardless of how they present. And so I want to ask you, who do you spend time with? Who might be questionable? Do you have people in your life uh, in your lives that uh, you know, other people don't really like to spend time with that might be a bit hard work or a bit demanding or whatever? Are there people like that that you need to intentionally spend time with? Um, Rules of engagement, first of all, don't be annoying. And all I mean by that is um, when you're you're spending time with people outside of the church um, and trying to be the presence of Jesus, don't don't be annoying. Like don't be that Christian that just needs to make everything about Jesus all the time. It is all about Jesus all the time, but that can be really off-putting for people. So don't be Um, off-putting. But secondly, also don't compromise who you are um, because, you know, one of the, one of the downs, there's, there's this whole idea of missional church, which is, is being the church outside of the church walls. One of the biggest challenges you get with that is that it's easy, instead of actually influencing the people you're spending time with, it's very easy for them to end up influencing you instead. So don't compromise who you are as you keep questioning, don't become questionable yourself. Next up, um, justice. There's this amazing organisation that my friend Andrew used to work with called IJM, International Justice Mission. And what they capture really beautifully is a part of the gospel that we often like to push off to the side, which is the fact that God is a God of justice. And so what IJM do is they get top legal talent um, and they work with governments around the world to try and crack down on modern slavery. So when you have, uh, you, know, you have a lot of third world countries where the police and the legal systems are a bit powerless to deal with some of the big um, you know, syndicates and rings that, that facilitate modern slavery, they use, this, um, they use top legal talent to try and actually crack down on that and get the people who are enslaving people into jail where they should be. And we're so big in the church sometimes on forgiveness and grace that sometimes we forget that... There are people in the world who have really bad agendas, who are doing horrible things. And God, as well as being a God of mercy, which we're going to talk about shortly, God is also a God of justice. And so when we, as the church, when we take steps to advocate for justice on the behalf of the vulnerable, like Jesus did, like it says uh, in the scriptures in so many places, we're actually demonstrating the kingdom because in God, when God is in charge, justice is done. Um, I've got a couple of verses here in Isaiah 117, It says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. There's a sensational verse in Amos 5, which is kind of challenging actually, where God says through the prophet Amos, I hate all your religious festivals, I hate your shows, I hate your sacrifices, because you're doing all of that and you're ignoring the poor. It's such a challenging verse, isn't it? But that's how much justice matters to God's heart. Another example um, is is with Jesus, the woman caught in adultery. The way that Jesus advocates and stands up for her is absolutely profound. That's beautiful as well. Um, And there are a bunch of ways that we can do that as a church. Um, Advocating for refugees or other vulnerable people is an example of that. There are some of us here that do that very well. Um, Also, part of why we're so passionate about First Nations, part of why we do our Acknowledgement of Country every week is it's part of this justice thing. You know, we want to see justice for our history as a nation. And it's just a small thing that we can just say at the start of every service to work towards that. Rules of engagement for justice is we have to hold justice hand in hand with mercy. Um, Because God is the God of both. What do we mean when we're talking about mercy? Well, it's, uh, it's one of those biblical words that's a bit hard to neatly define, but extending kindness or forgiveness, especially towards the unworthy. A lot of the time when the Bible talks about mercy, it talks about mercy in the context of ministry to the poor or ministry to the vulnerable. And so it goes really neatly in hand with justice there. Another thing that the Bible talks about when it talks about mercy is actually as as Followers of God in our own relationships, in our own context, extending forgiveness, extending mercy, even when it's not deserved. The scripture I've chosen for this one is Luke six thirty six, where it says, um, "Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful." I think I might have got the scripture wrong. I'm pretty sure that's from Matthew six, um, and where and it's the end of that section that we looked at a few weeks ago um, as part of our. Sermon on the Mount series. It's that bit where Jesus is talking about forgiveness and he finishes that section by saying, you know, God has been merciful to you. You need to extend mercy too. In the same way that God's, like we're all the recipients of grace and so we need to learn how to extend that out as well. Rules of engagement for this one. First of all, um, you know, Jesus is our saviour. And sometimes I think as Christians, we, we get a, a heart for social justice, we get a sense that we want to see the world change, we want to see the world better, and we get this kind of savior complex. This is something when you do a lot of international missions or, or missions in general, you've got to be really careful careful of this and realizing that um, as blessed as you might be, you're not the savior of anyone. Jesus is the savior. And we're just acting on his behalf. It's an important mindset. At the same time, when we're talking about forgiveness, don't be a doormat either. You know, don't let people walk all over you just because you feel like you need to be nice to everyone as a Christian. Remember, God is the God of mercy and justice. So keep that in mind too. I want to hit you with some really interesting statistics uh, before we talk about story. There was a a survey done by McCrindle Research in 2017 It's called Faith and Belief in Australia, if you want to look it up, or I can send it to you. Um, But one of the questions they asked is they were surveying non-Christian people about what are some some of the um, biggest attractors towards faith and what are some of the biggest repellents from faith. And the, the result of the repellents was really, really interesting because they found that the second biggest repellent to people checking out Christianity with stories of miraculous healing or miracles. Isn't that fascinating? You would kind of think it would be the opposite. Now, in many cases, these stories actually are really helpful and and maybe you've heard stories where people have actually come to faith um, from the result of of healing or miracles. So it's not that they're bad, but for a lot of people, those kind of Christians going on about supernatural stuff can actually be a little bit off-putting. You know what was the number one attractor towards people checking out faith? It was seeing other people living out their faith in a genuine and meaningful way. It's looking at, it was was looking at the way that, uh, it's when you see people in your life who actually, who have a deep Christian faith and you can actually see the transformation that it's brought for them and the way they live that out. And that is a big, big green flag for people who are curious about faith. And so one of the powerful ways we can demonstrate the kingdom is through our own stories and through our own lives. I've I've said here, what is it? It's it's sharing a story or part of your story. That can be in an overt way. Like it can be someone says, oh, can you tell me about how your faith has impacted, blah, blah, blah. Those conversations come up every now and then. I think more often it's about living in a way that actually shows people the impact that Jesus has had on your life. The, in John 4, the woman at the well is just this amazing story. Jesus has this conversation with a lady who's come out to the well um, in the middle of the day because she's probably an outcast in society. They have this conversation that l- leads to this woman running into the city, yelling at anyone who will listen, come and meet this guy, Jesus. And she brings half the town out with her. And it's the, it was the power of her story and the transformation that Jesus had brought in her that actually led to that incredible moment. And a lot of people will call her um, the first evangelist in the Bible, which I love. It's a nice little title. When we do this, when we share our stories, it's really important that we be uh, slow to speak and and quick to listen. You know, a a lot of relating to people is listening. And it's just important that we make sure we're not just always trying to share our story without listening to anyone else's. It's give or take. Um, One of the things that I learned leading the Alpha course is that the worst thing you can do when you have a bunch of people who are exploring faith um, in the room, the worst thing you can do is keep providing the answers because the whole idea of Alpha, the reason Alpha is such an effective tool for evangelism is because it gives people space to process, think and discuss and be listened to. And so it's really important that we listen to people as well as sharing... um, our own stories. Okay, we'll do one more and then I'm going to unpack what's in my bag of fun over there. Um, and this is, this is our jobs. This is something we talked about a lot in the, in the early days of TVC. We haven't talked about it as much recently, but a big part of the way that we can demonstrate the kingdom to other people, is just simply through the way we do our jobs. Something we realized when we moved to Toowoomba is that the biggest industries in this city are healthcare, education and social services. And a huge part of the population here in Toomew are actually engaged in what we would call like serving or helping professions. And it's really easy sometimes when we make decisions um, to do something for Jesus, it's really easy to lose sight of that decision in the future. And so if you decide I'm going to become a a teacher or I'm going to become a nurse or I'm going to work in social services because I want to help people, It can be really easy to lose sight of the fact that you're actually doing that in service of Jesus. And it's not just those helping professions where we can do that either. Um, There's this beautiful verse in Colossians that says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever industry you find yourself in, whatever you do for a living, you can do it in service of the Lord. It's not just those helping professions. And so as you do that, um, make sure you stay rooted with God. Make sure you have that meaningful relationship with God so that when you show up to work, so that when you do your work, you can do it in a way that honors Him, but also demonstrates the love that you have for God through the way you work. So that's another really important one. As we come towards the end of this series, Demonstrating the Kingdom... I want to acknowledge, um, I guess there's an implicit irony in talking about demonstrating the kingdom in a church setting because we're talking about it, but we're not actually doing it. And the whole point is it's all about doing it. I think it's really important to say that whenever we do any of these things we've talked about or any of the things we talked about last week, um, the supernatural stuff as well, when we do this stuff, you are demonstrating the kingdom. You are moving the kingdom forward regardless of whether anyone becomes a Christian or not. So like if you pray for someone, even if they're not healed, the kingdom moves forward because we're being obedient to God. When you bless someone with kindness, when you do your job for the Lord, when you give someone a prophetic word, even when it's scary, you are moving the kingdom forward irrespective of the outcome because we're making the world more like it's going to be when Jesus comes back. But I think we can never, ever lose sight of the fact that we, as as people who follow Jesus, who know what it's like to have Jesus as the Lord of their life, as people who have been transformed by the good news of the kingdom, we should never, ever lose our desire to see more people find that. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. There's a question that's been in the back of my mind, like, Maybe maybe it's an intrusive thought. I don't know. But there's this question that's been in the back of my mind for a long time, which is, do people still come to Jesus? Do people still become Christians in this day and age? Like, I know that it happens every now and then. But when you read through the stories of the early church, like, I mean, people were, like, throwing themselves at the church because as, as soon as they heard the good news of Jesus, they were like, yeah, I'm in. Like, does, does that still happen? I'm going to show you some more stats. Um, I was in a, uh, I went to a seminar this week at a conference about, uh, from NCLS research about statistics around church in Australia. So it's like, it's front of mind for me. So don't mind me with my stats. But these these are some scary stats for you. Two in 10. So this is their big um, community survey that they run um, to basically take the spiritual temperature of Australia. And in 2021, they uh, sorry no 2018 they found that only two, intern Australians attend a religious service at least once a month, which is pretty much the lowest it's ever been. So if you look at the census data next to this, people are dropping off the Christian bandwagon in our country fast. The second thing is, and this is the one that's probably more concerning to me, is this second graph, um, with the purple, line there with 44. Only 44% of Australians believe that religion is good for society, which means more than half, if you walk out on the street, more than half the people you will walk past will probably tell you that they don't think Christianity is good for society. So they're either neutral or actively against it. And that's kind of scary to me. But keep those two facts in mind, and I'm going to give you some more data that tells a slightly different story nearly six in 10 Australians say they believe in God or a higher power. If you add up the, and then frequency of prayer and meditation, if you add up the top four, 60% of Australians say that they would pray at least on occasion or or would admit to to praying in, in certain circumstances, which is kind of different to the statistics we had on the last slide. And here's the one that really got me which is that three in 10 Australians are likely to go to church if invited by close friends and family. Now, let's, let's say that two in 10, remember two in 10 already go to church at least once a month. So let's take those two in 10 out, uh, those two in 10 out, which leaves us with one in 10, which means that if you have 10 friends who aren't part of the church and you invite all of them, one of them is statistically likely to say yes, which is way more than I would have thought. Why is it so, if, if people are actually spiritually open and curious, why is it so hard for us to share our faith and talk about Jesus with people who aren't part of the church or who aren't yet part of the kingdom? I think, I think I've worked it all out, which is a big claim. I'm not going to stand by it later. But I, I think I have an inkling as to why we find it so difficult to tell people about Jesus and to share our faith, to do evangelism, if you will, will. Or well, discipleship is actually a better word for it, but that's another talk. I'm going to need two volunteers. Can I have two volunteers? Who wants to help? I'll give you a chocolate. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Someone else? We don't do voluntolling in this church. Only Only pastors get to do that. Laura, you're up. All right. All right, I need you guys to stand four metres apart. Yeah, there we go. And face each other. Okay, for the purposes of this... Actually, Michelle, you can come a bit closer because you don't need that stat anymore. It's in your brains. What you're looking at here, just work with me, what you're looking at is the same person who's not a Christian yet, not part of the kingdom has a lot of problems with the church and with God and Christianity in general. And over here you have that same person, go Michelle, who is now part of the kingdom. Now, you guys are standing not quite four metres apart. Actually, can you come a little bit more this way, Laura?
1: feels like an insurance um, ad.
0: Like an insurance ad. Oh, really? Yeah. This is me, pre, and then that's what I get. Yeah, so this Do is, this and is pre and post. And so somewhere along the lines... Somewhere along the line, people convinced us that you could just walk up to a random person, tell them about Jesus, and they would fall on their knees and become a Christian. Now, that happens every now and then, but it's never happened to me. Has that happened to anyone? No? Okay. So let's just visualize that. It's kind of like taking this person here, our person who has all of their problems with Christianity, the church and God, and trying to grab onto each other while four meters apart. Can you guys like touch your fingers together? No, you're not allowed to move. Yeah, so it ends in disaster, right? (laughs) It just, it doesn't work because there's too much of a gap. I want to suggest to us that the way that people actually, if, if you think about anyone who has come to faith, who didn't grow up as a Christian, and I'm one of those people, it usually happens one step at a time. So I'm going to give you guys my handy prop here. All right, Laura, can you grab onto that? Michelle, can you grab onto this over here? We have here what would, in, in any circumstance, be an insurmountable gap. But what happens is it might start with, like, let's take this chain link here. The first link in the chain might be that Laura meets someone at work who, they, who she really respects, who it then turns out, she finds out later, is a Christian. And she goes, oh, I didn't think the Christians were like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look these up because otherwise I'm going to run out of things. The next link in the chain, Laura, can you point to the next link in the chain? Um, it might be that someone gives them an encouragement or that maybe it's that person or someone else gives them an encouragement and says, you know, I think that, like, I'm a Christian and I just see a lot of good in you. You know, it might be something like that. The next thing might be um, a, another person, again, There's a conversation about faith that's, that's kind of non-threatening and non-weird and not pushy. Um, maybe maybe Laura gets invited um, to to church and actually decides for whatever reason to go and realizes that Christians aren't all horrible, as is the perception out there in society. Maybe after that experience, she goes home and and reads the Bible, makes sure no one's watching, that has a little read of the Bible and just checks out what it says and and doesn't open to Leviticus but opens to you know maybe Matthew or Mark or Luke or John instead. Um, maybe someone prays for her for healing, and she's not healed, but she leaves going, oh, that was really sweet of them to notice and to care for me. Maybe the next link in the chain is um, something really hard happens in her life, um, and someone brings them a meal, just a really simple act of kindness. Maybe then someone gives her a prophetic word, uh, and, and, they're re- and you know may, it may or may not land, that doesn't matter, but again, she's really encouraged. And then someone prays for her and she is healed or experiences some small measure of healing. She comes back to church. She encounters God in worship in profound ways. Still isn't a Christian at that point. But then a week, two weeks later, someone just gives her a really simple encouragement when she needs it. And that night she goes home and prays to Jesus and becomes a Christian. Yeah, get Give Laura a round of applause. You're the, same, you're the same person now. The, the point of the chain is, actually, can you guys stay stay here and just hold the chain up? Just so the object lesson, you know, so I can I can talk about the chain and you guys can see it. The, the point of showing you this is I want us to realize that the way that people encounter the love of God is usually one small step at a time. And... We have this idea that we need to do the whole thing in one go. And, you know, if, I, I bet you if you do approach someone on the street, tell them about Jesus and they give their lives to Jesus, the bit that you're not seeing is every single other link in that long chain. And the other thing that's really important to point out from what I, you know, the, the examples I just gave is that every single one of those events could be a different person. You know, she might go to three different churches with different friends before it actually starts to sink in. You know, it might take meeting 10 different people who are Christians who are actually all right to, to realize that not all Christians are hypocritical. And so my encouragement, what I want to leave us with from this series is that we don't have to try and have the magic bullet moment where we pray for someone on the street and everything changes. Like God does that. It does happen. But the vast majority of the time, and this is my story, it's just a whole lot of small conversations small encounters, um, small invitations that lead to that moment of salvation. And so I want to encourage you, whatever, each, each morning when you wake up this week, I wonder if you'd be willing to ask the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the day, okay, God, how am I going to demonstrate the kingdom today? Who am I going to pray for? Which, who am I going to send an encouraging text to? Um, you know, what simple act can I do today to show someone what the kingdom is like, whether that be in a supernatural, spectacular way or the most ordinary and yet extraordinary act of of kindness or mercy or justice or grace. And so, and I bet you ask anyone who became a Christian, who didn't grow up as a Christian, you'll probably find out that that's something very similar to their story. So what I want to do, keep standing here. We're going to keep looking at the chain. Um, what I want to do is I just want to pray for us as a community because and, and I guess the last thing actually to say is um, which is maybe a bit of a bummer but but don't be, don't be the broken link in the chain you know when when you feel like the Holy Spirit prompts you to just do something small and simple don't don't be the broken link in the chain you know learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and when he says to to go for something just do it just be obedient because it actually takes all of us being active in this stuff to see these kind of stories happen. So I'm going to pray for us now. Why don't we stand? Can I ask a request? Yeah. So, um, so Michelle has a request. Yeah. So when I go and give you know, prophetic yeah. words on the street, uh, I think 98 to 99% of the people are open to it. Do you want to say this into the mic? <laughs> just for the people on the podcast, because I think what you're about to say is really good.
1: Yeah, so um, I just wanted to say, like, I know there's the statistics there, but um, when I'm going out and giving words on the street to people, ninety-eight percent, no one's ever been aggressive with me. One guy just said no and put his hand back. That's it. In the whole entire, how many years I've been doing it? Um, mm. I just, I just think that. Satan's used fear in the church, and I, I believe it's fear of people and man mm. that that stops Christians mm. from going out and sharing because people are actually open mm. as to what I've experienced. I'm not saying I'm, um, you know, maybe maybe it's a different way that I'm presenting. They don't feel as threatened, maybe. But all I'm saying is, mm. I'd love if we could just pray for people mm. not to. Um, be scared
0: of me, Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Okay. Do you, you mind if I share the story of the word you gave us? Yeah, if yeah, a, that's fine. Some, many of you might have heard this story before. But thank you, Michelle. That's, that's really, yeah, you go for it. Um, the, so um, the first night that Jen and I moved into, into our, our house in Toowoomba, we just arrived. We're in the process of unpacking. Um, and, I mean, we, we just moved our lives 10 hours north. We're like, are we nuts like, are we, is anyone ever going to come to this church that we're going to start? Like, what are we doing here? And, and like, we were reasonably confident that God was doing something, but it's a big move, right? We're like, we don't really know many people here. Like, we're in this house that we're not sure how we're going to pay for. Um, and Jen's mum, so Jen's folks um, came up and they were with us uh, that first night. Jen's mum's out the front and this lady walks up to her. This lady was Michelle, uh, walking the dogs. And I see them talking and then Michelle walks off with the dogs and Jen's mum comes in and said, the strangest thing just happened. I have no idea what it means, but she said she had a prophetic word for you. And so Michelle had given Jen's mum a prophetic word for us. It was for the, for the, it was like over the house and the people that would live in it. And, 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 you know what, in some ways what the word was didn't matter because we felt so like I, we were, I've never had anyone give me a prophetic word randomly before and the fact that it happened the night that we moved here to plant a church, it was like, okay, God, you are here. You know, like every now and then you're going to, if you're obedient to God, you're going to have those moments where you, you had no idea the impact, what that will have. And you know what? The, the fun thing about that then is Michelle kept walking the dog's past and we got to know Michelle and it was Michelle. I mean, that conversation that we had, uh, that she had with Jen's mom, it's kind of like the founding story of our church. Um, because you know, then we met uh, Michelle, and then we met Suri, and then we met Nancy and Derek, and it kind of just all snowballed from there. And a lot of you are here because of that initial conversation. So I just want to encourage you: just, just like, just be like Michelle. <laughs> just go for it. Um, don't be afraid, because God knows. Sorry. You're awesome, Michelle. Just, yeah. Just to bring it down. It's not me. It's just God. Oh. It is. It is God. That's right. It's all God. So, um, all right. Well, Lord Jesus, it's, um, you know, sometimes doing this stuff is, is horrifying. And it's so, it, I, I just want to speak for myself, and maybe I'm speaking for other people. Stepping out in, in whatever way is usually really scary because we're afraid of how people are going to respond. And so, Lord, I just want to pray that you would give us courage um, wherever we are, to demonstrate your kingdom. Uh, Lord, th- this, this idea that, that people have told us that we have to like, do the whole journey towards Christ in one conversation. Lord, we, we want to pray for encounters like that. Like if that's what you're doing, then let's have that. Um, but Lord, I just want to pray that you'd set us free from this need to, you know, to lead people to, to Jesus in a single conversation. And Lord, just help us to help us to realize that. It's, it's just simple acts of obedience is, is all we need. And Lord, as we think about that, that simple analogy of, of the chain, we just want to pray for people in our world, in our circles, who are already on that journey, who, are, who we might not even realise, but are only one or two chain links away from meeting their Saviour. And so we want to, even now, Lord, just bring those people to mind who are on that journey. And Lord, I want to ask that... Um, you know we don't we don't bring people into relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit does that. We just our only call is simple acts of obedience. So Lord, help us to have the courage to to step out when we need to step out. Um, and Lord, we want us we don't just want to be a church that grows because people come from other churches. And, and people come who aren't part of churches. We also want to grow because people are meeting Jesus for the first time. Lord, we ask for just an influx of people who are brand new baby Christians because there's so much joy that we get from them. Lord, thank you that you have gathered us here together, that we are a team. We're not just a, a bunch of random people. We're actually a team that you've assembled for a mission. So reveal the mission to us. Bring us together as a team, Lord Jesus. And help us to serve your kingdom
1: wow you made it to the end good job if you want to listen to more of our messages just search out Toowoomba Vineyard Church wherever you listen to the podcast you can also check out our website at tvc.org.au and find us on insta at Toowoomba Vineyard we'll chuck those links in the notes so you don't have to remember that's all for now hope you have an excellent week